section twelve of rough notes taken during some rapid journeys across the pampas and among the andes by francis bond head this librivox recording is in the public domain we instantly perceived that he was the phaeton whose fall we had just witnessed and in a few moments he came up to us to join his comrades he was of course dripping wet his eye looked dull and his whole countenance was dejected however none of his bones were broken he was very little cut and the bulletin of his health was altogether incredible with that surprising anxiety which the mules all have to join the troop or rather the leading mule which carries the bell he continued his course and actually walked over the pass without compulsion although certainly with great caution we then continued our course for two hours until we came to the rio de las vacas which is the most dangerous torrent of any of those which are to be crossed we got through it with safety but it was very deep and so excessively rapid that large stones were rolled down it with the force of the water the mules are accustomed to these torrents but they are notwithstanding much frightened at them and it is only long spurs that can force them into them while we were crossing the peons stood down the stream with their lassoes hurling round their heads in order to catch anything which might have been carried away but as the boxes which i had seen washed from the mules were dashed to pieces before they had got twenty yards the peon's lasso came a little too late and besides this as the mule is their own property i used sometimes to think that in the hurry and indecision of the moment they would probably catch him instead of the rider when a large party cross this river and when it is deep it is really amusing after one has got across it to observe the sudden change of countenance of one's friends as they ride through it sometimes perched up on the top of a fragment of rock barely covered and expecting the next step to be their last and sometimes scrambling out of a hole with uplifted eyebrows open mouth and an earnest expression of uneasiness and apprehension and these are really situations into which the traveller in the andes is often thrown though they disconcert the gravity and solemnity of his personal narrative after passing the rio de las vacas the ravines appear to grow narrower and steeper and the tops of the mountains which are those of the highest range are rugged with sharp edges and pinnacles we here came to a quantity of snow and rubbish which had been washed down and which we had great difficulty to pass for it occasionally broke under the weight of the mules who recovered themselves in a surprising manner and as if accustomed to it we now passed one of the brick huts which at every two or three leagues have been built to protect the traveller 
from the dreadful storms which here assail him and after continuing our course till the sun was low we stopped at the second of these huts we saw a party of loose mules at some distance standing among the stones and after leaving my mule at the hut i walked to them and found two or three arrieros on the ground asleep i leaned over one fat fellow and asked him to give me something to eat for we had lost all our provisions at the ladera de las vacas as he awoke he seemed at first alarmed at seeing a stranger well armed so near him however we soon came to an understanding and in a few seconds he was putting some money into a long purse while i was walking towards the hut with my arms filled with hard sea biscuits some dried beef charque with one hand full of salt and in the other red chili pepper with this our men prepared a good dinner while i reconnoitred our situation it was barren and desolate beyond description and the mules now unsaddled were standing in the attitudes in which they had been unladen their heads were nodding or drooping and they were putting up their backs and going to sleep which was the only comfort they could enjoy for there was literally nothing for them to eat the snow was all around us and the features of the scene so large that one could not but reflect on the situation of the many travellers who in these parts of the andes have been overtaken by the storm and have perished the capataz told me that these temporales are so violent that no animal can live in them that there is no warning but that all of a sudden the snow is seen coming over the tops of the mountains in a hurricane of wind that hundreds of people have been lost in these storms that several had been starved in the house before us and that only two years ago the winter by suddenly setting in as it generally does had shut up the cordillera and had driven ten poor travellers to this hut when the violence of the first storms had subsided the courier came to the spot and found six of the ten lying dead in the hut and by their sides the other four almost dead with hunger and cold they had eaten their mules and their dog and the bones of these animals were now before us these houses are all erected upon one plan and are extremely well adapted to their purpose they are of brick and mortar and are built solid ten or twelve feet high with a brick staircase outside the room which is on the top of this foundation in order to raise it above the snow is about twelve feet square the walls are extremely thick with two or three small loopholes about six inches square the roof is arched and the floor is of brick a place so small of so massive a construction necessarily possesses the character of a dungeon 
and as one stands at the door the scene around adds a melancholy gloom to its appearance and one cannot help thinking how sad it must have been to have seen the snow day after day getting deeper and deeper and the hope of escaping hourly diminishing until it was evident that the path was impracticable and that the passage was closed but without these reflections the interior is melancholy enough the table which had been fixed into the mortar was torn away and to obtain a momentary warmth the wretched people who had been confined here had in despair burnt the very door which was to protect them from the elements they had then at the risk of their lives taken out the great wooden lintel which was over the door and had left the wall above it hanging merely from the adhesion of the mortar this operation had evidently been done with no instrument but their knives and it must have been a work of many days the state of the walls was also a melancholy testimony of the despair and horror they had witnessed in all the places which i have ever seen which have been visited by travellers i have always been able to read the names and histories of some of those who have gone before me for when a man has nothing to lament but that his horses have not arrived or in fact that he has nothing to do the wall appears to be a friend to whom many entrust their names their birthplaces the place they propose to visit and sometimes even the fond secrets of their hearts but i particularly observed that in these huts on the andes not a name was to be seen or a word upon the walls those who had died in them were too intent upon their own sufferings the horror of their situation was unspeakable and thus these walls remained the silent monuments of past misery as the air was very cold and the wind very high we slept in this hut and before daybreak we were once again upon our poor jaded mules in order to cross the cumbre while the surface of the snow was hard from the night's frost after climbing a little but very steep hill we came upon a small flat landing place which was the most dreary-looking spot I think I ever saw. I asked the peon what the wooden cross before us meant. After looking over each of his shoulders, he told me that the spot, for many years, was haunted by a ghost of a mulish-looking sort of man who used to terrify all the arrieros and peons who passed and that they therefore had been absolutely obliged to get a priest to put up the cross before us and has that driven the ghost away said i laughing see sí, said the peon with a look of confidence and courage which had rather deserted his face while he was describing the shape of the spectre 
and he then assured me with great earnestness that now he was never seen and that i need not be afraid the torrent which we had so long followed now turned up the ravine to the right we had pursued it from the east towards the west but our path was now obstructed by the cumbre or upper ridge of the cordillera which no artifice can avoid and which is a mountain covered with loose decomposed rock at an angle of very nearly forty-five degrees at the foot is another of the huts without door table or lintel and in which many people have died after resting my mule for a short time and then girthing my saddle as tight as possible during which operation he was always trying to bite me i whispered a little comfort into his long ear i mounted and then squaring my shoulders and giving a kick or two with my spurs i commenced the climb followed by the party of riders and carga mules the path ascended in zigzags from the bottom to the top and the whole time i was obliged to hold on by the thin mane of the mule the turnings were so short that the animal was almost falling backwards however on he went with a determination and patience that was quite astonishing at times he stopped but the path was so steep and the decomposed rock so loose that of his own accord in a few seconds he continued it was very picturesque and interesting to see the whole party beneath threading their way in different paths above each other some going towards the north and others toward the south to see the riders leaning forwards every animal straining to his utmost and to hear the peons cheering on their mules by a song which was both wild and melodious after climbing in this singular manner for about an hour i reached the summit and it was really a moment of great triumph and satisfaction hitherto i had always been looking upwards but now the difficulties were all overcome and i was able to look down upon the mountains their tops were covered with snow and as the eye wandered over the different pinnacles and up the white trackless ravines one could not but confess that the scene cheerless and inhospitable as it was was nevertheless a picture both magnificent and sublime proceeding among some broken ground along the summit i saw a very large wooden cross which i rode up to it was supported by a heap of stones piled round the bottom of it but it did not stand perpendicular it was roughly hewn mortised together and fixed by a large spike nail which had rusted the wood and being loosely clinched the cross creaked with the wind there was a rough inscription cut out with a knife along the bar of the cross 
but it was so much above my head and so bleached by the weather that i could not read it in the wild desolate situation in which it stood it certainly looked very appropriate and interesting and i stood at the foot of it leaning over my mule until the party came up and then the peon told me that it was placed there by two arrieros to commemorate the murder of their friend thus reminded that we had not yet risen above the bad passions of man it was painful to see the emblem of his hopes standing as the monument of his guilt we now found it extremely cold the snow was very deep and the mule's path a most extraordinary one a deep narrow passage had been cut by the constant travelling of these animals but the wall of snow on each side obliged the rider to put his feet on the mule's ears besides this as they always tread on the same spot every step was into a hole which was often above their knees on the snow there was a great deal of blood from mules which had gone before and it was only astonishing that they could proceed at all what a magnificent view said i to one of my companions whose honest heart and thoughts were always faithful to old england what thing can be more beautiful i added after smiling for some seconds he replied them things sir that do wear caps and aprons after descending about a mile with great trouble and difficulty we came to another of the huts which was in the same state as all the rest but surrounded by about twelve feet of snow for on the chilly side of the andes there is always much more snow than on the other after passing this house we resolved to quit the path which was getting more bloody and more difficult and we attempted to take a nearer cut by riding over the snow which was everywhere very deep it bore us very well for some time but as we got lower down and as the heat of the day increased our mules began to sink into it however they managed to regain the path except the poor brown mule who was carrying the four heavy portmanteaus he had hitherto surmounted every difficulty and with a healthy eye and a patient countenance had always led the way but now his treacherous path was breaking under him and after floundering on in a most extraordinary manner literally raising himself by his nose he could proceed no further and the portmanteaus at his side all rested on the snow before this the capataz and peon had only cheered him by their voices but they now went to his assistance they lifted up his two forelegs out of the holes which they had made and they put them on the surface of the snow they then went on each side and with one hand on his tail 
and the other under his belly, the poor creature rose. The two men then instantly jumped behind the mule, and with their hands over their heads, they both held the mule's tail, pushing it upwards with all their force. The weight of the baggage being thus partly supported, the mule was able to proceed, and it was really curious to see the gravity and caution with which the party regained the road. During this singular operation, one of the party was for a long time endeavoring to catch his mule, who had escaped, and who managed just to keep out of his reach. When his master ran, he ran. He followed his example when he walked, and at last, when my companion threw himself down on the snow, quite exhausted, the cunning creature stood still and looked at him. As I found that my mule still went very well, I cut across the snow and saved more than a mile, though I had some places to descend which no animal but a mule could have accomplished. The melting of the snow had, in some places, undermined it, and as I traveled over the surface, I could hear a torrent rushing under the feet of the mule. Several times I got off to walk, but was obliged to remount, as these animals will not be led by the bridle. My mule was getting tired, his back was rather sore, and so were his feet when I came to a stream of water about a foot broad, but deep, and which was running under the snow we were crossing. The snow had fallen into this stream in two or three places, both above and below me, and I was quite sure it would not bear. So, in order that the mule should tumble by himself, I rode to the very edge, and then, dismounting, put the bridle over his neck, and crossing the little stream, I endeavored to persuade him to follow me. But he would not think of it. It was but one step, yet he would not make it. I then resolved to back him over it, and accordingly, taking hold of the mameluke bit which was in his mouth, I tried to turn him round. He would open his mouth and allow his head to come round to his shoulder, but he knew what I wanted, and nothing could persuade him to move his legs. I could bear it no longer, so without a witness but the wild mountains about me, I beat him on his nose. However, it was no use. He would not move, and he looked so placid that I could not long be angry with him. And therefore I gave the point up and mounted him. The moment I was on his back, he walked on. As I expected, the snow broke in, and down he fell upon his nose. However, he floundered through it, and then continued as patient as if nothing had happened, sometimes pricking up his ears and looking at his path as if some great curiosity or some great danger was before him, and then stopping to bray after his companions. 
during which nothing would induce him to proceed. End of section 12